Thanks for tuning in to the Foundry Church Podcast, where our mission is to make disciples by guiding people to forge a lifelong reliance on God. As part of Jesus' church, we are called to be outposts of the kingdom of God in our neighborhoods. Jesus was all about people, and if we are all about Jesus, we should be too. This week, Pastor Andrew urges us to forge ahead for the sake of that one soul. God bless. sermons today, Taking Enemy Ground. We're going to be talking uh, about this and some of the weapons we have with the Word of God and with worship and with uh, how we use adoration to God as a weapon to take enemy ground. But today, uh, we're going to start just a little bit by some of our DNA, what we're all about as the Foundry Church. And and there's no better way to illustrate this than to talk about it. An event that happened with Christina and I a way long time ago, way back in 2008 to be exact. Uh, Christina and I, we were just dating, but I knew things were getting a little serious, so I was like, Christina, meet my mom and my dad. And so during the summer, the end of the summer, right before school started for me, uh, Christina had already graduated. She was a cougar. Christina and I made the drive from uh, Eastern Kentucky, all the way up to Sault Ste. Marie, uh, Michigan. It was about a 15-hour drive. And we get up there, and I had all of these amazing plans. I was going to take her to Mackinac Island on the way, and we were going to get, like, fudge. Right? You've heard of Mackinac Island fudge. It's a thing. So we were going to get a bunch of it. I was going to take her to the Sioux Locks, which are in my hometown, and they have all kinds of stores that sell fudge. And so we were going to get some more fudge. And we were going to take her to all these different places, the Guamanon Falls, and they have a gift shop that sells homemade fudge. And so we were going to get, I had, I had plans. But on the way up there, about halfway through that 15-hour drive, I got a little tickle. You know what I'm talking about. I got a little tickle in the back of my throat. And it was at that moment that I knew the great death was upon me. Right? <laughs> The great death was upon me at that moment, right? I, we get up there, and I am sick. I am miserable. I am useless. We didn't do anything. She sat there while I slept on the couch for the better part of a week. I was sick. And at the end of that week of her absolutely doing nothing, I had to drive her, while I'm still sick, back to her parents' home in Cincinnati. Right? And so we pack up the car, we drive down to Cincinnati, not quite as long, but still like 10 hours, 12 hours or something like that. I get there, I drop her off, and I turn around and drive back home, all the while not eating or drinking anything because I was miserable. I get home, and my parents are moving. I can't help them. I'm just laying on the couch. And finally, my dad said, you got to get out of here. We got to move the couch. And so I go, I go to his office, and I sleep on his couch for a couple days, and I am sick. Right? The great death has overcome me. And finally, they said, you got to go. We're moving. And so I drove back to school all by myself, and I get there for football practice. First day of, of, of camp, and I get there, and what do they do? They say, hey, you have to have a conditioning test. All right? So it was like... 
going on two weeks now of no food or, or water, and I run the conditioning test. I pass it. I was in better shape back then. I pass it. I do all the lifts. I, I, I get good marks, and I'm like, okay, I think I can make this. I kept some crackers down. We're good to go. Very first practice the next day, I go out there, and on the very first drill, I snap my foot in half. Break it right in half, right? And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking to myself, this is quite possibly the worst two weeks of my life. Right? And, you know, side note, I had a pretty easy life up to that point, right? right? Pretty easy life. But I was thinking, this is, what's the point to all of this? What's the, what's the you know, why am I going through all of this misery? We're not even a good football team. I, I don't even like football anymore. I'm thinking, I'm tired. What's the point? Why are we doing this? In Foundry Church, have you ever asked yourself that type of question? And maybe you had a series of events like I had that just kind of compiled onto each other, probably more serious than the, the man flu, right? But have you ever thought to yourself, what, what's the point of all this stress, this mess, this working, this, this striving? All right, what is, gonna, is this going to matter in 20 years? What's the point? I'm tired of fighting. It seems like a losing battle. I'm not taking any ground. And if you're anything like me, at one point or another, you found yourself asking yourself these types of questions. Why does it matter? Maybe you're, you're thinking that right now. It's a new year, and so you're thinking about ways to change things, to make things a little bit better, to get off that rat race, to the merry-go-round, to to kind of get rid of some of the whirlwind that is all around us, especially in this DMV area. And you're trying to give yourself a reason. You're trying to give yourself some purpose, a way to feel like you're actually taking ground in the fight instead of constantly feeling just like you're losing ground. No momentum. Comfort with the status quo. Right? Maybe you're, you're dreading the idea of going back to work tomorrow because uh, this break has reminded you uh, about how much you hate your job or, or your commute or your boss. No laughing, Mackenzie. Uh, all right. Maybe you're thinking, what's the point? Why go back? Maybe you're about to graduate and you're, you're trying to decide like, what to do with the rest of your life. What's the next step? What's the, the next career move? Or maybe you're feeling like you're ending or nearing the end of your life and, and you want to feel like you won at least one battle in this thing called life. And you look around and you just can't figure out how to. You know, there was this article, a, a study that was done several years ago and published in this article that asked, uh, 50 people over the age of 95, this important question. He said, if you could live your life again, what would you do differently? All right? If you could live your life again, what would you do differently? And the question was left open-ended, and a variety of answers just kind of poured in. And after analyzing all of those results, uh, psychiatrists found something very surprising. They, they found this. They found that if, if we could do it all over again, we would reflect more. Right? And, and part of that was gratitude. And they said if we, if we could do it all over again, we would, we would risk more for important things, things that matter. Right? If we could do it all over again, I would do more things that would live on after I'm dead. Foundry Church, listen. Right? 
It seems that everybody is looking for a purpose, looking for a reason, looking for a direction, a mission in the battle, in the war of life. It seems that everyone is looking for a lasting way to take enemy ground, to find victory. Listen, that's the, that's the tension, isn't it? Right, that's, that, that's the tension. And so what is the answer? How do we find that purpose? How do we win at this, this life thing? What do we do to take enemy ground? All right, so today we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Acts chapter 16. And we're going to be in verses 25 through 34. If you don't have a Bible, you can use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you. And you can take those with you. And I want you to turn there in your actual Bible Acts chapter 16 is where we're going to be. And as you're turning there, I'm going to serve you up some context like a, like a Top Gun volleyball game here. All right, because we're going to start right in the middle of the story. So here's what's going on. The Apostle Paul and his protege Silas, one of his many protégés, Silas, were in a city called Thyatira, a city in Macedonia in modern-day Turkey. Right, Paul and Silas had made a a strategic invasion into this Macedonian city. Right? Th this was the enemy territory where they were at. Uh, this was the, the area that was ruled by the god of the world, as some scholars say. It was a, a stronghold of Satan. But Paul had a vision from God, the god that he was forging his life on. And this vision was a person from Macedonia, this town, yelling, yo, come help us. And so that's what Paul did. Paul said, all right, Silas, I got this vision from God. We're going. Pack your bag. So Paul and Silas, they went on their way into battle, and they were going to do whatever it took. Right? They were like this. Right? You ever heard this saying, if not us, then who? That's what they said. If not us, then who? Who's going to take the gospel into this area for the sake of these people's souls? Right? And it did not take long for them to experience a counterattack to their initial mission. And as they were going about their business, they came across a woman. You can read it there in the earlier parts of chapter 16. They come across a woman who is demon-possessed. And, and this demon kind of gives her the power to see into the future a little bit. And as was the case back then, and probably today if this woman was here, some men were using this demon possession to their own advantage and making her work for them. Right? So Paul saw that this woman was being taken advantage of by more than just the demon, right? these men. So through the power of the Holy Spirit of God, he cast the demon out from her. Right? That, that, that's what's happening. Right, he cast the demon out from this woman, and as you probably guessed it, the men who were making uh, money off of this woman were a little bit mad that they lost their side hustle. They lost access to their cabbage, to their, their cheddar, to their, their slaw, right? whatever you want to call the money that they were making. Right, right, we know that if you want to make someone seriously mad, you attack their wallet. Right, and that's what Paul did. So the, the, the men complained to the powers at B, and Paul and Silas uh, were dragged before the magistrates. Uh, they were beaten with rods, it says. They were put in stocks, and then they were thrown into the deepest part of the prison. The, the part of the, the prison that is dripping with condensation. 
uh, dripping with other things that we may not want to talk about, right? It, it was cold. It was rat-infested, dirty, grungy, not really a, a five-star resort for, for these soldiers on a mission. And there they lay all afternoon and then late into the night, it says, in foreign territory with no advocates at City Hall. Their backs are just open and ripe for infection. That's where they are. They're surrounded by darkness, shivering from cold, unable to adjust their positions because they're chained literally to the floor. No way to get comfortable. That would be the worst for me. Right, hundreds and hundreds of miles from home and their invasion of Macedonia, this God-given mission, task, vision that they had, barely begun. Right? It had barely begun, so Paul and Silas were not having a great day. They were, in fact, having the worst of worst days, a pretty bad day. The, the mission that they were on, it seemed like it was failing, and it was failing miserably. Right? They were far from taking enemy ground, and that is where we pick up the story. So look at verses 25 through 34. It says this, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, and they were singing hymns, right? and, and God, singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Keep your finger right there. Right? Paul and Silas, by all accounts, were not doing great, like we said. Right, like we said, these guys, they were sitting in this cold, wet, dark prison. They were, they were nowhere near any semblance of victory. They were not taking enemy ground. It sort of looks like they were actually losing ground, like they had failed. But what is their response? Right, what, what did it say? Right, it says, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. These guys are weirdos. Right? Straight up weirdos, praying and singing hymns to God, excuse me? Have you ever heard of a good opportunity to grumble? This is it, right? This is the moment where it would be good to grumble. They were literally bleeding, cold, hungry, thirsty, right? Come on, right? I would be grumbling, and be honest, you probably would be grumbling a little bit too, right? This is the perfect opportunity for what we would call a pity party, this is it, right? The perfect opportunity for it. They had every right to complain. Every right. All right, there we go. All right, kind of. All right. We got this side fixed, and then that side broke. All right. They had every right to complain. Weren't Paul and Silas in God's will? Definitely, right? They were doing God's will. Right? Didn't, didn't God send them to Thyreta, the, the city in Macedonia? Right? Paul had a, a stinking vision from God. Right? He, was, he was supposed to be there. Didn't they, they save that poor woman from the power of Satan? Yes. Didn't they save that poor woman from being abused and taken advantage of by these men? Yes. So shouldn't everything have gone uh, smoothly for them? Well, it looks like that's a big fat no. Right? It's a big fat no, right? Grumbling would definitely have been an acceptable response here. But Paul and Silas, they knew something, Fountain Church. Right? I want you to lean in. I want you to grab a hold of this. Paul and Silas knew that just because we follow Jesus, just because we forge our life on God, 
just because we go down the exact path that he has for us, Foundry Church, right? Lean in, get this, right? Just because we're doing what he has called us to do, it may not always feel like we're taking enemy ground. Right? It may feel like we're in a prison, beaten, cold, forgotten, in chains. Right? In fact, sometimes we can find ourselves locked in this enemy prison with doubt, with questions. And if you're like me, a little bit of anger at God. Right, right. There, there's a great example of this in the classic book, uh, this classic allegory, the Pilgrim's Progress. If you haven't read this, please do. All right. Uh, I actually think if you go onto uh, YouTube and you Google Pilgrim's Progress, there's some weird ones out there. But they just made a good one for kids, which is good for uh, for everybody to kind of get an example of what this book is about. But Pilgrim's Progress, a great uh, uh, Christian read, right? If you've not read it, you definitely need to. But in the book, it describes a scene where Christian, uh, the main character, it's very right on the nose, right, was being held captive in Doubting Castle by the giant called Despair. Now, does that sound a little familiar to you, right? Is, is it like something that maybe we might be going on in our lives? Definitely in the lives of, of Paul and Silas. Have you ever felt like you were stuck in a castle of doubt? Yeah? Maybe stuck in, a, in despair with anger? Well, well, the, in Pilgrim's Progress, all that Christian has to do is remember that he held the key of, of promise that it's tucked into his shirt. He just has to remember that it's there and that he could use it to open the doors to the prison and be free to continue on his journey to the celestial city. And that is what Paul and Silas were doing. They were in a castle. In the dungeon of a castle, really. They could have doubted, they, they could have despaired, they could have grumbled, but instead they remembered God's promises and they sang songs of worship and of honor to him. Because, and I grab a hold of this, look, people who, who forge their life on God are people who sing at midnight. Right? I mean... Right? There are people who sing at midnight. Right? When you're in a prison, when you're in a castle of despair, right? when, you're, when you're in a dungeon that is cold and you're beaten and you're, you don't have purpose and you think there's no direction and there's no way forward, there's no hope. If you're forging your life on God, if you said, God, you're my heavenly father, yeah, I've accepted your grace, you're a person that needs to sing at midnight. <laughs> Just like Silas and Paul. Right? We, we sing in the despair, even when things seem to be at their darkest, even when it looks like we're doing anything but taking enemy ground, we still sing. And where did we learn this from? Where did we learn about how to, how to sing in these moments of darkness, to, to have hope? We learned this from Jesus himself, God in the flesh. Right? When, when, when Jesus awaited his betrayal, just what we talked about with communion, when he was with his disciples upper room right he was he was going to be taken into custody and he was going to be put on the cross to die for sins he didn't commit he led his disciples in a hymn right take a look real quick at Matthew 26 if you have your Bibles just turn back to Matthew chapter 26 the very first book of the New Testament 
Matthew 26, verses 26, it says this. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take it, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew with the Father in his kingdom. All right, and then what does it say in verse 30? And then they sang a hymn, and they went down to the Mount of Olives. All right, they, they sung a hymn. And then they went down to the Mount of Olives. In the literal darkest night of Jesus' life, one of his closest friends was about to betray him to death. God the Father, his Father, was about to look away from him and place the sins of the entire world, including ours today, upon him. His other friends were about to punk out and disappear. And he still sang praises. Man, he sang gratitude. Man, uh, Jesus, he, he sang the expectant will of God to be done in such a powerful way, in a powerful moment. And when I'm talking about singing, I'm not talking about those sweet little songs that make you smile and bob your head a little bit. Now, that's, not, that's not what we're talking about, right? There's no Rolling Stones type of songs here. When I, when I picture these songs, I, I picture uh, men at war and they're crying out a battle cry of all battle cries. Uh, one that comes from victory even before the battle. Because they know victory is at hand. Victory is there. theirs. If they're in the dark, no matter if they're in the dungeon, Jesus' followers sing not only at sunrise when, when the rescue is finally rushing over the top of the mountain towards them, right? That's not the only time we sing. We also sing at midnight when the blackness makes the sun seem burnt out. Right? When we're forging our life on God, we keep pressing. We keep our rallying cry on the forefront of our tongue. Right? We decide to stay in the fight. Or as we say around here at the Foundry Church, we say this. Right? People who follow Jesus forge ahead even at midnight. Forge ahead. You hear us say that all the time, right? It's on the flags as you go out the doors, right? It's not something that's just nice. It's not something that we just say, right? It's what we do. It's our battle cry. We're going to forge ahead, right? When God calls us to go somewhere or do something for his plan and for his mission, he absolutely never once promises Sometimes in front of the other. Sometimes I have to take that hammer and pounding iron, right? There's this quote, I forget who it's uh, by. It's actually on my vitamins bottle that I take every morning. And it says, uh, it says, don't wait for the iron to get hot, but make it hot by striking it, right? Does anyone know who said that? I'll, ch I'll check my vitamins tomorrow, right? But that's, that's forging ahead, right? That's forging ahead, right? Okay, let, let's keep reading. That was just one verse. We've got a lot more to go here. All right, verse... Verses 25 through, through uh, 34 again. Acts chapter 16. So about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. They were singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. 
when the jailer woke and he saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and he was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out in a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he, he brought them out, and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And then he was baptized at once, he and his whole family. And then they brought them up into the house, and they set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Listen, Paul and Silas are worshiping, they're singing some songs, they're doing some did ditties, is that a, okay. And their singing was so bad that the walls started shaking, right, the doors are locked. Might have been singers that that wasn't the case. Right, it's a supernatural earthquake, right? It had to be supernatural because of all the earthquakes. It destroys things. It tears down. But this earthquake had precision, didn't it? Right? It opened doors instead of breaking them. It just popped off the locks of their chains. And then we see a jailer who sees the earthquake and decides to kill himself. And we may think, whoa, buddy. Dramatic, right? Slow your roll a little bit. right? You don't need to do that. What's the harsh? But under Roman law and custom, guards who, who allowed their prisoners to escape received the penalty of their prisoners. So he was freaking out. He was losing his mind. And Paul, being a Roman citizen, knew this punishment. And so he shouts out, calm down, buddy. Nobody escaped. The whole prison's here. We're all here taking breath. And I love this because the jailer had been asleep. He was missing all the worship. He was missing all the honor to God. He was missing all the, the songs and the prayers, right, and the hymns and this super natural earthquake and it wakes him up from two different slumbers it wakes him up from two different slumbers first his literal sleep and then he got woken to the the saving power of jesus man and here's the thing right we we can't miss this this earthquake this awakening of the jailer and all of this is all because while it seemed like hope was lost Despair, the black death was upon them. Well, it seemed like there was no enemy ground being taken. Paul and Silas chose to stay in the mess. They chose to sing, worship, have gratitude. They chose to forge ahead even when it was hard. They chose to put the hammer down on that anvil. Right? Right? The circumstances said, run. Get out of here. Save yourselves. Right? But their faith, Jesus, the God that they're forging their life on, the mission that they devoted themselves to, get this, right? It told them to do this. Forge ahead for the sake of this one soul. That jailer is in heaven with them. Not in hell. 
They stayed. They did the hard thing. This is an escape story with no escape. Right? All for the sake of one soul. That is, the, that is why we forge ahead, Solomon says to the lowest point. That's why we do what we got to do. For the sake of one soul. Our mission is simple. We do what more soul, we have to guide people to forge that lifelong reliance on God. Right? When we give our life to God, he gives us a purpose. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all these commandments as I have taught you. That's our, that's our mission. And the way we say that here is guiding people to forge a lifelong reliance on God. Right? In prison for the sake of one man's soul. Silas chose, chose to forge ahead no matter the circumstance for the sake of that soul. <laughs> the soul of the man that was keeping them under guard in prison. And the jailer saw that. He saw their decision to stay even when it was hard. Even when it would have been easier to leave. He saw and he, he, it gave him reason to pause. He wasn't there for the worship. He was asleep, it says. It gave him reason to fall at their feet and say, what must I do to be saved? He wanted what they had. Right? He wanted whatever it was that made Paul and stay in prison. They had every he wanted whatever it was that made them forge ahead in the castle of despair. Whatever it was that made them choose to do the hard thing. He wanted that. He wanted whatever it was that, that had saved their life. He wanted that to save his life. The jailer wanted salvation. The jailer wanted Jesus, Foundry Church. I freaking love it. Right? That's what he wanted. So Foundry... We're looking for purpose. We're looking for meaning. You're looking for a reason to keep going at your horrible job. You're looking for a reason to keep loving your family, your spouse. You're looking for a reason to keep your faith. You're looking for that purpose, like we said. You're looking for something that will live on past your life for for. Just a, a legacy that means something. You're, you're looking to risk, to take ground, to do something that's bigger than yourself, to do something that's meaningful. You're, you're looking to beat the status quo and being comfortable with the status quo. You're looking for a reason to just keep waking up in the morning. Here it is. Forge ahead for the sake of one more soul. For it's not easy. Forge ahead for the sake of one more soul. Paul and Silas knew that that was the mission. Forge ahead for the sake of one more soul. Right? Sing at midnight for the sake of one more soul. Stay in prison for one more soul. And keep going to your job even though your commute is driving you insane. Even if your boss is driving you even more insane. Even though it seems like you're not making a difference. Keep going to your job for the sake of one more soul. You have influence there. Keep loving your spouse even though they're driving you nuts, even though they pay more attention to the kids than they do you, even though that you haven't had a real conversation in ages, keep forging ahead. Keep loving your spouse for the sake of one more soul, right? Keep your faith even though it seems like no one's listening up there and you don't know if he's even there. 
Even though it seems like you can't do anything right, you just keep messing up. Even though it seems like like he promises are never going to come true in your life, that they're for everybody else but you. Keep your faith for the sake of one more soul. I mean, what could be more important than that? Man, I could be more comfortable if I did this. I I could have more if I went here. I I would be more prestigious. I mean, can you name one more comfort, one more important thing than someone's eternal soul? Go ahead, right? I'll wait. That's right, there, there is nothing. Right? You name it an event, activity that is more. Can you name a that crowd? Right? Because it's not, it's not true, it's not going to happen. Right? Charles Spurgeon said it like this. Right? He says, Do you, right, to, to the ones of us who are forging our life on God, who've accepted Him, as our Lord and Savior, he says, do you, above all things, aim at saving souls? I'm afraid that some have forgotten this grand object. But, dear friends, anything short of this is unworthy to be the great end of a Christian's life. It's worthless. Right? right? This is the secret to taking enemy ground. Even when all seems lost, remember the mission. Remember that what you're fighting for. Remember who you're fighting for. Remember the, the one soul that needs fighting for. Guys. It doesn't matter how many buildings we construct, how many projects we do, initiatives that we have, right? And, and listen, we're going to talk about some things, exciting things here at the Foundry Church that we're hoping to achieve this year, right? Important things, things that will help us achieve more souls, more butts in heaven than in seats, right? right? Things like, like partnering with five other churches in the DMV to plant a church in the DMV, Right? We're going to talk more about that, but that's stuff we're going to do this year, right? Uh, expanding, go, going to a second service, doing these things. We'll talk more. I know I'm throwing grenades at you, right? But none of that matters. All of that is crud. All of that is junk, right? It doesn't matter. Right? I could get up here and I could preach over and over and over again, but it will all be pointless if our church is not intent on doing everything so that lost men, lost women, and children will experience the transforming work of God. If we haven't done that, if that's not our goal, if that's not the, the task beyond, behind everything that we do, guiding people to forge a lifelong reliance on God, then we fail. Right, taking enemy ground is not about comfort. It's not about uh, your life going well and everything falling into place and having church and things and your, your relationship with God look just the way that you want it to look. Right? It's about submitting to him and his will and his task. And he says, go and be my hands and my feet. Seek and save. Right? Learn my commands. Instill them in your life. Share that, share that with others. Right? Right, taking enemy ground is about the one person in your life who doesn't know Jesus falling on their knees and saying, what must I do to be saved? Crying out to God, that person, you got that person in your mind because you did whatever it took to introduce them to your Lord. 
And they're falling on their knees and saying, what must I do to be saved? So it's simple, guys. This is what we're going to do here today. Our awesome hospitality team, uh, they're going to pass around these locks to you. I want each of you to take one of them. All right, and, uh, and I want you to take one, and they're just they're padlocks, all right? And this is not a one-per-family thing. This is a one-per-person thing, all right? This is, this is if, if you said, hey, I've forged my life on God. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. I want you to take one, all right? I want you to take this. I want you to hang on to it, all right? I don't ask you to do anything weird with it. All right, you're not going to lock yourself to anything or to anyone, right, to throw it uh, in your car on the, on the floorboard, all right, when you go home today, right, I don't want you to just toss it aside, right, in a place that you'll see it every day, because every time you look at it, I, I want you to think of the one person in your life, Jesus, right, far from Jesus and needs some chains to fall off. Right, so need some hope restored. The castle and they can't look at the sinking wall, right? I want you to think of the jailer who is in your life. Right? The guy is in the cubicle next to you that you eat lunch with every day. He's really annoying, right? Right? But he doesn't know Jesus, so you have some influence with him because you, you guys do eat lunch together. Right? Think of him. Right? Think of your neighbor that comes over to your house every week and you have drinks with in the backyard while your kids play. They don't know Jesus. Right? I want you to think of your family member, the one that you sit at the table with night after night after night. You're literally doing everything in life together with them, except for this one glaring thing, forging your lives on God together. Right? And when you get home or before you leave, I want you to write that person's name on that lock, right? And we're gonna have we're gonna have these locks out, and I'm gonna talk about them until you get sick of it, all right? Because there's gonna be extras, all right? But but right now, just one person, all right? <laughs> one person. When you look at that, you're, you'll be reminded to forge ahead for the sake of one more soul, right? I want this lock to be the thing that reminds you of the mission, of the task that I didn't give you, God gave you. God, that you said you forged your life, accepted his grace, he's asking you to share that. Ah, oh, it's just awkward. It's awkward. I can't. All you got to do is tell them what Jesus has done for you. All right? Don't let five minutes of keep you from your task that the God you're forging your life on has called you to do. Don't let the busyness of your schedule keep you from this task. Don't let the whirlwind of your life, the things, I get it, there's things that are just piling on, right? Keep us from task. This is the most important thing. When, you, when we say, God, you are the Lord of my life, I've given you everything, this is the most important thing that we have to do now. Right? So I want this lock to be the thing that reminds you to forge ahead. I, I want this lock to be the thing that reminds you to do whatever it takes short of sin for the sake of one more soul. 
right? Maybe you need to commit yourself uh, to staying in prison, staying in that bad job, staying in the DMV, right? Staying in, the, in that marriage unless you're being hurt in some way. Whatever it is, stay in the uncomfortable because maybe, just maybe, you need to give up some comfort for the sake of one soul. You need to set ego aside. Right, maybe you need to commit to inviting that person over to your house for more than just drinks one weekend and, and just invite them to church or to, to lunch. After, after church, we're going to go to lunch. them what Jesus has done for you, right? Maybe commit to reading your Bible more, joining a small group, we launch those again here the winter term, or praying more for that person. Maybe you have a prodigal in your life, a kid or, or a family member, a brother, a sister, just somebody, a friend who just, you know, you were really intent on getting them to love Jesus and for God 10 years ago. But they put up a pretty good fight, and so you just kind of, you know, uh, don't really pray for them like I used to. Well, poop and get out the pot. Stoke that fire. Start praying for them, right? Because that's your task. That's our job, right? That's what we're called to do. Maybe you just need to kind of study more. Grab one of these resources about evangelism. Uh, there's one after attack. You're ready. You're ready when that person says, must I do to be saved? You know what to say. You know what to do. Right? And guys, don't overcomplicate it. Right? Jesus. Make him the Lord of your life. Right? Hear it, believe it, confess it with your mouth. It says, Acts chapter 2, verse 38 says, repent and be baptized. Right? Whatever you need to do, whatever it takes, we're going to give you resources this year. We're going to give you opportunities like none other before at the Foundry Church to invite your friends, to, to, to let them know what Jesus has done for you, right? So let this lock be a reminder to forge ahead for the sake of one more soul. Now, maybe you think you're holding this lock. You got one, and you're like, you know what? I haven't accepted Jesus as my Lord yet, right? I haven't forged my life on him yet. Well, good for you. You have the opportunity to do that today and every day and every Sunday to hear the gospel, right? That Jesus went to the cross for you, right? And that you can accept that grace. You can have this purpose. You can have this direction. You can be someone who doesn't live in despair and in dirt and in grime and with just wounds on your back. But when that happens, you can sing and you can praise God and you can make a difference. That could be you, right? So that lock is for you, right? So if that's you, you can, you can come up during our next song, tell me that. Or after the service, I'll be hanging out up here. We can talk about that. And you can be the first lock that goes up on that system, right? But we're going to hang these locks, right? There's like, I'm not good with numbers. There's like 40 of us here, 30 of us here, right? In a year from now, we're going to be amazed about how many locks are hanging we're going to do what God has set, us, set for us to do. We're not going to go through the motions. 
We play church. We're going to be the church. Right? You're thinking, whoa, Andrew. <laughs> whoa, okay. That's all I can say. Right? We're going to be the church. All right. Let's go ahead and stand, and we're going to worship our God just like Paul and Silas. Let this lock be a reminder. You can put it, like I said, put a name on there. All right, we're going to put a place together in the next few weeks where we can put these locks. And when that person says to you, Jesus is my Lord, I accept him as my Lord, his grace and his truth. And, and you're like, all right, that's awesome. High five hug, all right? Let's go get baptized, right? And you baptize them. Man, I want that for you. You will not experience a high like that than anything else in your life. You're a mom or you're a dad and you're saying, man, I was pretty high when I had kids or I was pretty excited when my kids graduated college and they went out on their own and got a job or got married. You haven't experienced anything until you led that person whose name is on that lock, who you're thinking about, to Christ. Because that is your God-given purpose. All those other things help you do that. All right? your God-given purpose. When that person that you're thinking of gets baptized, I want you to bring that lock back to church, hook it on that thing, whatever we have. Man, you're going you're, you're gonna to be on tap in the joy that you have. Let's sing to him. <laughs>